I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So Katie, welcome to Mentally Yours. Thanks very much for coming on. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself um, and your background? Um, before we move on to chatting about your book? Uh, well, I um, have uh, yep, written a book, but uh, it's basically about my experiences with living with bipolar disorder. I sort of wasn't diagnosed until I was 27. And I first was like mentally ill when I was 14, um, but it wasn't picked up. I was sort of diagnosed with depression and anxiety all through my teenage years all through my 20s until I sort of had a a bit of a breakdown I suppose you'd call it um I sort of built a bit of a career um I worked as a a family worker for children's services and uh was doing really well had a great supportive partner and uh, everything sort of fell apart really um ended up being off work for two years was on benefits and um needed to find sort of a new direction something different after I got diagnosed with bipolar and uh the thing that helped me that got me through was uh writing uh something that I had done at university um and I never really uh pursued it but um yeah, I finally decided, you know, I want to do something therapeutic and writing felt like the natural thing to do for me. And um, I started a blog and things and it was sort of just a sort of chilled sort of hobby I had. And then I took it further. And um, yeah, that's sort of how, yeah, I got a book deal and things like that. It was just through the, the writing. Yeah, you definitely sort of started blogging, I think, around peak blogging time I mean I still think lots of there's lots of great blogs about but when lots of great ones are popping up I think you sort of you picked a good time to be doing it um and there's quite a nice sort of 
mental health bloggers community now, I think, isn't there really? Yeah, um, that's why I was uh, sort of uh, drawn to Twitter, really, because um, I started blogging um, sort of anonymously back in 2012 and um, sort of secretly typing away on a blog blogger <laughs> and um, decided I wanted to be more open and um, let people know who I was. So I started, I moved my blog away to a different, um, to WordPress and um, was on Twitter a bit more, a bit more active and met some absolutely fantastic people that have honestly helped me so much and understand the condition. Um, it's helped me learn about mental illness in general. I've met so many people that have different experiences mm. and just how wide the experiences are of people that have bipolar. We all have such unique perspectives and what we've been through, the challenges we faced. Um, and I love connecting with those people and, and learning about those, you know, struggles and how we can help each other. Mm. Me too. I mean, that's why I was really excited to get you on today because obviously we both got <laughs> bipolar disorder. I was just like, this is great. You know, I mean, I love all our podcasts, but I was just like, we're just going to have a chat about <laughs> bipolar disorder and the different things. I mean, already from your story, I relate to it so much and in your book as well. Um, the fact that you sort of started suffering from depression age 14, I had exactly the same experience of not, I mean, not exactly the same experience, but that is when depression hit me. And for me, it was kind of locking myself in the in the bathroom and sort of crying for ages and but not knowing why and all that sort of stuff and and also it, yeah. yeah it took until I was 24 to get the proper diagnosis and then mood stabilizers so I think it's really quite common unfortunately isn't it I mean you mentioned that in your book as well that it can take quite a long time for people with bipolar disorder to get diagnosed and and then get sort of the treatment and mm. learn how to manage it I think it's um, the average is about 10 years in the UK mm. to get a diagnosis of bipolar. And uh, people are usually misdiagnosed about 3.5 times before they get that bipolar diagnosis. And that is experience I've had. And talking to people online, I've just heard it again and again and again. Even today, I had people like I was chatting to people, hearing about their stories. And I was like, this just sounds like me. And like you said about locking yourself in the bathroom, that's exactly what I did <laughs> as a 14-year-old and a bit awkward because it was our only, our only bathroom in the house <laughs> and I was sort of taking up all the space and wouldn't, you know, I was like seen as a school refuser. I just point blank refused to go to school and um, ended up being off for about six months. It's so frustrating, isn't it, as well with the whole just going back to the diagnosis thing briefly, because it is, yeah, if it's an average of 10 years, that is 10 years of living with the living with the condition, probably not on meds, or if you are on meds, maybe not the right ones necessarily. And you might be put on antidepressants, which can then trigger mania possibly, or, you know, you might be put on the wrong things. Um, I think it's quite difficult for people who maybe don't have bipolar dis disorder to understand. I was speaking to um, a friend and she was actually quite anti diagnosing people with mental health issues at all and I don't understand that viewpoint at all because it was a real blessing to me when I finally was diagnosed because I was just like oh finally I know what's going on and I you know I may not like it but I actually know how to deal with it you know you can actually start 
to face it really. Whereas before that, sort of thinking about my life and my moods, I guess from being 14, maybe even younger, but certainly 14 upwards, 14 to 24. I mean, all those years, there were bits of where things were fine and everything, but there was lots of periods where it was just totally out of control. You know, the depression and the mania and all, all sorts of stuff that I did. And yeah, it's very chaotic. Yeah. <laughs> um I look back at like my teenage years and my twenties and yeah, exactly. So chaotic. Um, like an embarrassing, like I've done so many things. I think, Oh my God, why, why did I do that? Um, yeah, well, that's the thing. Chaotic and also embarrassing in a way that like, like I kind of said, people who don't live with bipolar disorder might not really understand. Cause I mean, people say, Oh, well, no, all teenagers do embarrassing things or sort of say silly things or, no, and I guess that is true to an extent and you do have to be a bit kind to yourself in that sort of sense. But I mean, I remember when I was in like my early twenties and stuff doing being in hypermania or well, mania probably, and doing things like sleeping on the street and just sleeping with lots of random guys and stuff and I don't know, buying loads of stuff I didn't need. I mean that still happens in hypermania. <laughs> but um Yeah. Yeah. It's just like you say, it can be a lot of the stuff can be quite embarrassing. Um and difficult. Um, so what made you want to write the book? Um, well, like I said, I'd been blogging for a, a while and um, I wanted to do something that was not just a, a memoir, but something that actually had practical support in there and advice because I couldn't really see anything like that for bipolar disorder. It was all very memoir or very dry, these are the symptoms, this is what's going on. Mm. There was nothing that was in between or from someone that had lived experience. Um, and I just felt it sort of was needed. Um, there was a gap there. And I thought it would be something that would resonate with a lot of people, would help people that um, were worried they might have bipolar, um, people that had just been newly diagnosed, and as well, helping friends and family, because one of the biggest issues I had really was trying to get my family and my friends to understand what I was going through and for them to understand how to support me. I mean, like my family have been incredible, but they do struggle. Like my parents are like, is it something we've done? Did we do something to you? Did we, you know, have we messed you up? What have we done? And I was like, you haven't, <laughs> you haven't done anything. But yeah, they really, they really struggled with guilt for a long time. And I think it affected our relationship. It relation, it affected my relationship with my partner because um, he met me before my diagnosis. And um, I was manic when we met. I was 23, very manic, very like, into everything, up for everything, and whirlwind, and um, life at the party, and he was obviously attracted to that, <laughs> and um, I then was very up and down, and he had to deal with that. And I think um, when I had sort of this like really severe depressive episode, he was he thought, oh, okay, this is this is really serious. It's you know, I don't know what's going on. I don't know how to help you. 
and he had to deal with me getting that diagnosis and helping me through it and accepting it and helping me accept it as well so it's been a you know it's a challenge for everyone in your life not just for you yeah that's true definitely I've sort of found similar things my family have been really supportive but it's interesting what you sort of said about the the blame thing I don't think they blame themselves but there's definitely the thing about sometimes when you speak to people about sort of long-term sort of serious mental health stuff like bipolar disorder or sort of other conditions people think that maybe something terrible happened to you when you were a kid or you know and they make sort of assumptions but actually I don't I think I had quite a nice childhood really so it's it you know there's that side of stuff but but you are right as well just the fact that it does affect other people in your life um I think it's really inspiring that you've sort of got this relationship how long have you been together uh, we've been together 11 years. We've been married for five. Oh. Yeah. Um, he's just um, been my rock. He's he's helped me so much. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's very calm and he's very um, sort of gentle, but he also is quite assertive when I'm on the cusp of sort of hypermania or mania. He can sort of say, you need to calm down you need help um which is really important and you know we're we're a team we communicate um he'll do things like (laughs) if I'm a bit all over the place and he can see the signs he's he's you know I've told him about the signs and what to look out for so if he sees them all combining together he's like oh warning signs let's go um and um, we'll sort of do things like, I think I need to have your debit card. Because if you keep that card, if you keep all your cards, you are going to spend all your money. And from past experience, yeah, I will spend all my money, like like to the bottom of my overdraft. I will max out all my credit cards. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's been fantastic. And he's also got... Um, a best friend who has bipolar as well um that he's known for longer than longer than me um so he's got two of us <laughs> um but that's been really helpful as well because they lived together before we were to we um got together and he sort of understood a little bit about what he was in for really that does help doesn't it your relationship sounds like total couple goals, by the way. I'm very jealous. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're right about it. it. Does help if they sort of, I don't know, friends know people with it as well. Because one of my friends, her husband's got bipolar disorder, and I think that helps. In you know, there's that sort of unspoken thing like she she kind of understands a lot of stuff around it. I don't have to kind of explain it. Like I don't have to explain why I haven't been texting if I've been depressed, or you know, I don't have to like you say with the money stuff. I think she'd be sympathetic to that. When you were talking about the money thing and sort of taking off taking your card off, yeah, I was just sort of sat there nodding. People because it's a podcast, but I was just like, yeah, that'd be really great. That'd be really helpful for me. I feel like I've sort of chatted maybe a bit too much about sort of my own stuff, my own bipolar disorder. Um, you mentioned in there about like the the kind of warning signs and stuff. What are those for you? Well, they're very different, obviously, for depression and mania, but like. Um... I would say for sort of depression is I, 
I uh, shut I shut down. I get very tired and fatigued. Um, I stop messaging people. I stop making an effort. I become really unmotivated. Generally, not looking after myself. And it either it's either um, I become I want everyone away from me, or I need everyone around me, and there's like no in between. Um, <laughs> and it could be different day to day. Like, no, I do not want you near me. Leave me alone. I need to be on my own. Or please don't leave because I don't feel safe. Um, so those are sort of the sort of the early warning signs. And it's sort of like if they all culminate together, then I know something's up um, and it's going to get worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but like um, I do get quite manic and uh, – for me, it's talking a lot, talking really fast. Um, I'm I just chatting nonsense, almost like gibberish to people. Um, having loads of energy, not sleeping, wanting sex all the time. Um, overspending is a big one for me. Um, having loads of ideas like I've got the most amazing idea for a novel ever and I'm going to write it in two weeks and it's going to be incredible and it's going to be a bestseller and uh, (laughs) with that I've done that before and um, when I sort of came down and I was more stable I looked through my notebook and I was like what the hell is this this doesn't make any sense this is just random gibberish and ideas. Um, But at the time I thought it was like the most amazing thing I'd ever written in my life. I mean, all that sounds really familiar (laughs) through the whole thing. I was just like (laughs) nodding, nodding, like for me, the Mm -hmm. depression side of things, I've realized like for me, a big thing is like the housework. Like when I've, I mean, I hate housework at the best of times, but like when the washing up is just piling up and piling up, I'll just be like, Oh, okay, here we go. You know, like I seem to find housework a lot harder when I'm depressed. And then thank you so much for bringing up the sex thing, because, you know, I feel like a lot of the mental health websites maybe try and avoid stuff like that because they don't want to upset people or, you know, shock people. But that definitely is a thing um, on the mood scale thing. I mean, I don't find it so bad now because I'm, I'm on mood stabilizers. But I mean, before I was on them, like, I mean, I mentioned it before, didn't I? I was just sort of all over the place. And, um, yeah, it's definitely a thing. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, the the sort of difference, like when you're depressed, you, I have no libido whatsoever. I have no interest in sex when I'm depressed. And then when I'm manic, that's all I can think about. So it's really hard when you're in a relationship <laughs> for your partner to sort of be able to understand this and deal with it and accept it. Um you know, I've, lo- I've I've lost relationships because of it. Um, I've had, you know, men sort of proposition me and I've put myself in sort of dangerous situations when I've been manic mm-hmm. um, because, because I just didn't see it as an issue. I didn't see it as a problem uh, when I was younger. And, yeah, it's, it is tough and not enough people talk about it. And... Um, yeah, and I've, I sort of went. I remember when I was younger, uh, I went away on holiday on my own, 
because I was manic and um, just basically slept around and uh, cheated on my girlfriend at the time and felt absolutely awful when I'd come down and I was stable again. I thought, I can't believe I did that because that's not me. That's not who I am. I would never think of doing that. But, um, you know, I had to come clean and I had to tell her what happened and and we split up. But that's sometimes part of bipolar. You have to sort of um, own your mistakes, even if you feel like you weren't completely in control. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just such a pain in the neck. I'm really just enjoying just chatting to you about it because... It's always lovely to chat to other people with this. And I'm just like, relate so much. Um, so what are you hoping that people really get out um, of the book? Have you, uh, so it's called Living at the Speed of Light. Yeah. What are your hopes for it? I'm just hoping um, people will get something out of it. Like they will feel supported. They'll feel heard. Um, someone that has had maybe similar experiences to them and they can read it and go, I don't feel so alone. Um, I'm also hoping that the advice in there is useful, um, helps people sort of, even if they can't completely relate to sort of all the warning signs and triggers and things that I have, it will help them think, well, I should list my own. I should write my own down and and actually try and think a little bit more about, you know, bipolar and the symptoms um, because really writing everything down for me has really helped. Um, and I'm hoping it helps family, friends as well who read it, um, that maybe it might help them open a dialogue with somebody. Yeah, you know, definitely. I mean, it would save me a job in terms of family and friends and it. I could just give that to them and just be like, there you go. <laughs> because <laughs> because although I chat about mental health on the podcast all the time, there's still certain family and friends. I just don't mention it at all because, you know, you know what it's like mm-hmm. with friends. You just want to have sort of fun with friends and not necessarily talk about serious stuff. So I'd be like, yeah, exactly. here you go. <laughs> if you've been wondering about the bipolar thing, you know, you don't want to listen to my podcast or anything. Just, just read this book. <laughs> you yeah. a load of stuff about it. Oh, have you been over lockdown? Oh, that's a loaded question. Um, Weirdly, okay. Um, For me, sort of the first lockdown, I was okay because I was already working from home. And I was like, well, my life isn't changing a huge amount. I just can't see my friends. And I'm a really social person. I love seeing my friends. I love seeing my family. Um, So that aspect was hard. But um, my mental health seemed to hold up okay. It wasn't until like the spring, summer, when it all calmed down, that actually my um, mental health went down too. And I got very, very depressed um, and got really ill and, I had medication changes that really did not suit me. I have I have like the worst side effects to things. I'm I'm really susceptible to like side effects and um I had sort of 
severe joint pain where I could hardly walk and things like that during the summer. So I had to change all my medication and ended up on um, lithium. And since then, my mood has been really stable, um, which is amazing for me. <laughs> because although although I've uh, written a book about bipolar, I it, it's not perfect. It, you know, I didn't want to write the book as sort of a big inspiring sort of message that you can completely recover and everything will be okay forever because that's not what it's been like for me with bipolar it's been a journey and it's it has been a struggle at times and mm. it's been a learning experience well and I'm still learning I mean it's realistic isn't it and it's lived experience and if you'll forgive me for saying this you yeah. know it is up and downs isn't it with bipolar disorder um it's interesting to see you sort yeah. of mention about lithium I read somewhere that that's sort of considered the gold standard of treatment in terms of bipolar disorder. I know other people that have been on it for years and years, and that's been sort of really helpful. But I don't envy you switching meds um, during the pandemic because I think I would have been quite scared about that personally. Have you? I was very, I was very scared um, to be honest with you. Did you feel you had to enough go. support in terms of like from your GP or from the mental health team? Well. Um, I actually got a new psychiatrist this year and he has been amazing. He's like the best psychiatrist I've ever had. Um, Very supportive, very down to earth. I've never had a psychiatrist that's made me laugh or I could have a a joke with and a banter with. Um, And I really felt listened to. I had a really bad experience um, about a year ago with a psychiatrist who discharged me. when I was obviously not very well, but he discharged me. I made a complaint against him and it didn't get any further because he said I didn't do that. <laughs> so that was that wasn't good. But now I've got someone who is really seems to listen and wants to involve me in the sort of dialogue about what we do about medication and how to move forward. Mm. So that has helped so much. Um, it was really scary going on lithium and uh, I was really concerned about it and sorting the blood tests out was a absolute nightmare. Mm. So um, for those who don't know, listeners, yeah, you have to have regular blood tests, don't you, when you're on lithium? Yeah, because of the, it, the levels need to be right because it can be because of the toxicity levels. Um, so you can get quite ill. But um, so, yeah, I had to go to regular blood tests like once a week when I first started and uh, trying to get an appointment to get a blood test at the right time. So I was you had to take it 12. You had to take your medication and 12 hours later have a blood test. And I couldn't get appointments till like two or three in the afternoon. So I was sort of taking my (laughs) meds at three in the morning and then, yeah, (laughs) But that was that was it. That was all they could do because of the because of the pandemic. So, mm. but now you're on it sort of regularly. It's settled. Is it just is it monthly that you have the test? Is that right? Um, they said every three to six months. Okay. Now that it's sort of settled, and they said this is a good therapeutic level that you're on, so come back in three months. Mm. That's good, and I'm glad it's working for you as well. Because, yeah. 
I didn't know that it was sort of like a faff to set up like that to start with. But like I say, I've got friends who are on it and it's been great for them for years. And also I'm glad that it sort of hasn't had the side effects that the, the last one had for you. I'm on this one called um, Valproate, which when I was sort of in my early 30s, I kept getting these really annoying phone calls from doctors sort of saying, are you having a baby? Are you having a baby? Because you can't get pregnant if you're on it because it can potentially harm the baby. And I, I kept going, no, I'm not. <laughs> I've got no interest in having babies. Stop assuming I'm going to have a baby just because I'm 30. Um, but <laughs> that seems to have stopped yeah. now because I'm nearly 40. <laughs> so, um, yeah, joys of side yeah, I get that. I get that all the time because I'm in my 30s too. So. <laughs> I'm 35 now, so it's like, are you sure you want to take this? And yeah. <laughs> it's great how they sort of assume that, don't they? That that's the age you're going to do it. But then I guess they have to be responsible. And um, yeah. Are you planning? Yeah. <laughs> this is a massive question to ask, like right near the end of the interview. But um, are you thinking about having kids? Hmm. <laughs> because that will be a whole thing in terms of tapering off meds and all that sort of stuff. I just wondered what your thoughts on that was. Um, I'm well aware of, um, I've discussed it obviously with a, with a, as a psychiatrist just a couple of years ago, just to get an idea of what it would be like. Mm. Um, and how, not to sound selfish, but the impact it would have on me, the impact it would have on my partner. Mm. Um, for, if I got very ill or if I got very ill after the uh, baby was born, which happens very often, doesn't it? Mm. Can ho- can happen very often. And I already have um, symptoms of psychosis and things like that. So I wouldn't want to put myself in a position where I could be very, very unwell. So I sort of, we just put a pause on it and just be like, let's just discuss it in a couple of years. And now it's a couple of years later. Mm. We haven't discussed it. <laughs> Sorry. So I've really put you on the spot there <laughs> on, a, on a podcast when you haven't had this serious conversation with your, with your partner. Sorry. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, I think I'm lucky and it's always been very straightforward to me because I'm not maternal. I'm not interested in having kids. Like, so yeah, it's completely irrelevant to me. Like I'd quite mm. happily have like, I don't know have my tubes tied or whatever they say it is for women you know I've got no interest in having kids so that's the relief which is why when they keep ringing up about you know have, are you going to have kids I always find it really annoying slash entertaining but um but mm-hmm. it is a big thing isn't it really for for women with bipolar disorder to think about because yeah the meds that we are put on in terms of mood stabilizer you know they're, they're no joke really and yeah you have to think about coming off them and then the effect of birth and stuff and then also just the basic things yeah. like when you do have a baby, how that's going to affect sleep and all that sort of stuff. Um, exactly, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we sort of have a sort of a six-monthly sort of, do you want to talk about it? No, I'm okay. <laughs> We've got a cat. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, actually thinking about it, I've got a puppy now, so I suppose that's my substitute child yeah she's lovely but she's quite enough like I'm really like honestly a lot of the time I'll just think oh really really couldn't be a mother because it's it's hard enough being a dog mother like being a genuine mother I I don't I just genuinely couldn't deal with it like she's actually quite well behaved but um but she's still weeing in the house it drives me up the wall anyway (laughs) we've completely gone (laughs) off on a tangent Um, do you have any advice um, that you'd like to share for anybody who's recently been diagnosed with bipolar disorder? Well, I would say 
when you're first diagnosed, it's it can almost feel a bit like grief. It can feel really challenging. Um, it could be it's it's extremely emotional um, because you feel like everything's changed, but at the same time, it can feel like a relief. So, I give yourself time to sort of understand it. Um, try and do as much research as you can um, to sort of understand what you're going through, things that can help to get you through difficult episodes or to stop them happening entirely. Um, make sure that you have a voice with your treatment. Um, if you can get therapy as well, that is awesome. Um, but yeah, really advocate for yourself and um try and get people around you to help you as well like you need that sort of one one trusted person that you can sort of go to it doesn't have to be a uh, in real life person it can be an online person that you feel you can vent to and, and talk to about what's going on with you thanks katie thanks for joining me um really appreciate you taking the time out and i just feel like i've had a really nice natter about bipolar disorder so i felt like i could for ages <laughs> This is goodbye from Mentally Yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from Mentally, 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 Mentally Yours. Mentally Yours. Mentally Yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123 or you can email them at joe at samaritans.org you can also go to their website which is samaritans.org if you've liked this please give us a rate and review we're also on social media on twitter at mentallyyrs and we're also on facebook the group is private but it's just called mentally yours see you next time It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.